0: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, where a round table free farm discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt?
1: Keep thinking about the certain kinds of co- conversion evolution that happen, and some of them are perfectly sensible, like why everything in the water ends up looking vaguely like a fish, because it tends to be a good form for going through water. You know, it's it's like a bullet stuff moves over it easier but some of them like the crab thing why crabs and the worst part is there's actually a reason they have it they have a theory but the one that really gets me is one I saw today have you ever heard of the 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 snake the primate snake hypothesis
0: uh yeah i think i have a long time ago
1: yeah the the idea is that the reason that we have for instance forward facing eyes and really good color vision really good motion vision is that we were we were looking for snakes? When we yeah,
0: because were- like we had to evolve in order to uh, the visual yeah. system of primates had to in inor- had to evolve in order to detect further danger, which is yeah. why it's straightforward and why we can see so much color versus uh, on the side and and more like movement driven, like some of the other uh, oddly ma- shaped mammals. So. Yeah. Uh, but that's all we're here to talk to, although this will actually be relevant to one of the questions that one of our listeners sent in, which I think is very, very fun. Uh, but we're going to be answering questions from your wonderful listeners. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, do want to remind everybody that we do currently have a pledge drive going on for our Patreon. Uh, we are currently. Please,
1: tr- please, please, <laughs> please, guys, please.
0: We are a very community-driven website, so much so that this podcast and everything else we do is driven primarily from our subscribers on Patreon. You allow us to record these episodes as well as do the posts on the site and keep everything running. Uh, it has dipped rather low over the, the last couple of years, which, again, we understand with interest in the uh, Blizzard IPs maybe waning a little bit, but also as everybody's financial situations tend to get a little tight, uh, especially around this time of year but we are asking that if you can if you do enjoy our content if you can kick us a couple dollars please feel free to do so our patreon at the three dollar tier just three dollars a month gives you early access to all of our shows access to the unedited version of our main podcast show it also gives you first billing when you send questions into us via patreon email, or one of our channels on our Discord server, which is set aside specifically for Patreon subscribers. Uh, This lets you basically get to us, give us themes, uh, also allows you to interact with us at a uh, maybe a little more direct level than now that we're in the sort of heat death days of Twitter. Um, But yeah. hmm? Go go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Matt.
1: I was going to say, also, so you guys know, uh, just a transparency issue, we've been switching ad providers and... So there's going to be a little bit of weirdness on the site as we get that ironed out
0: as well as the podcast, because and just, we did talk about this a little bit on the main cast. We are supplementing what we can with ads. We're being very careful. We're trying to make sure that the ads are ones that, uh, line up with your sensibilities and ours. And when they are inserted into any of our media, that they are as unobtrusive as possible. However, if you don't want to listen to those ads, Patreon subscribers still get access to ads-free content. The podcast will be available without any ads inserted into them. So this also something to consider as we're moving forward, and we do want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, if you listened to our last uh, main podcast, I did actually read out all the names of our many new supporters and some returning supporters. So again, thank you very much. And the questions that we're about to read today do all come from our Patreon subscribers. Uh, I think most of them, I think one or two of them do not, but we're going to get into it. So without further ado, this one comes from Sabercat. I do. Now that we're going to the Emerald dream with plenty of non druids, how do you think this works lore wise and how would it impact druids going forward? I was under the impression that it was only druids that could access the dream by literally sleeping for years and years looking at you Malfurion. Well, so it's kind of a little more complicated than that. We use I'm used-
1: going to make you guys unhappy, but you might want to read a Richard Nock book because he does talk about this.
0: He does, actually. Um, why don't you go ahead, Matt? You take lead on this well, one. I,
1: I can't remember if the book is called Rage or Stormheart. I think it's Stormrage, right? Stormrage. Yeah, and basically it's about Malfurion and about all that deal. Um, there are multiple different ways into the Emerald Dream. The one that doesn't require you to rip a portal between worlds, which is very hard, by the way. Um, portals between these planes of existence, they're not common. It's actually really hard to do. Uh, so the workaround that the Druids came up with uh, in working with Ysera was to, to as you point out, go to sleep and, and dream an endless dream. And that allowed them to access the Emerald Dream. But there are other ways. There's a human named Lucan uh, who's in the book who can basically just physically go there whenever he wants to. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't always control it. Like, I think in parts of the books, he's just jumping between worlds. Yes. Like, he's jumping into the Emerald Dream, jumping out of the Emerald Dream. Uh, but, but yeah, that, so there's that way. We know that you can use a portal because we've seen Cenarius do it. Uh, when Cenarius came back to Azeroth after he'd been killed by Grom Hellscream, he came back through a portal in Hyjal uh, that they opened to to clear the way for him.
0: We've also... Uh, We've also watched the Emerald Dragons do it. We've seen mm-hmm. several of them do that as well, as well as just looking at Shadowlands alone. We know that gates into, those re- into the Emerald Dream exist in other parts of existence, as it were. Dreaming and projecting just happens to be one of the more convenient ways to get in there without having to be able to rip a, a hole in reality or get to one of the portals that you might not have access to.
1: Yeah, like for instance, if you if the, the dragons we were talking about, um, we know that they defend those portals. Like we know there's defenders around them. Um, I remember going back in the day when the Emerald we, we were doing the uh, Dragons of Nightmare, and there'd be dragons all over the there's like dragonkin all over the place.
0: Yeah, like uh, whole armies. Like it would basically be like you were trying to assault Blackwing Lair. Uh, the equivalent yeah. therein of armies protecting that portal.
1: And uh, for that matter, I mean, I didn't play a druid very much in Legion. But the Emerald Dreamway stuff that's in Legion is, an, is another example of using kind of the, the dream as a portal of its own. Like they're traveling through the Emerald Dream to get into other parts of Azeroth. So it, it kind of goes both ways. Druids can access the dream, but they can also use the dream to access Azeroth. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways to in and out of various planes of existence. Uh, it isn't just the Druids could do it. The Druids don't have the only way. It's just that the way the Druids do it is... The least invasive way.
0: The other thing to remember is that the Emerald Dream is not necessarily druid exclusive as a realm of existence. We know that it is a realm of existence. And even then, it has varied layers within it. Uh, we saw that with the truth of the nightmare. We saw that with even in the current raid that's going on, there are layers of reality within the Emerald Dream. We know that the Emerald Dream was created originally, or at least we were told originally, as a backup plan. Uh, but it's sort of grown into its own thing, right? And anybody can really go there. You just have to have either sufficient power, you have to have uh, access to one of the portals or an artifact or something that allows you to go there, um, or sometimes just have permission, which we do right now.
1: Yeah, like the, the Emerald Dragons are like, you know, get on in there, stop that fire guy. And keep in mind, for that matter, Firak and his Druids uh, his of the Flame are breaching the emerald Mm -hmm. they're that they're they're a threat they've come in and the old gods clearly had the ability to do it um although it seems an awful lot like they were using kind of the inverse of the druid method they were using nightmares and stuff to infiltrate the the emerald dream it's it's interesting to see as we as we learn more about the emerald dream one of the things we're learning is that there seems to be a part of the dream that is kind of similar to the part of the elemental planes that azeroth has like the elemental planes exist in other parts of the world. They exist in other worlds. Uh, we know that because on Draenor, there were elementals all over the place and they, they went to and from the elemental plane, but their elemental plane wasn't like the one around Azeroth because the Titans shaped the one around Azeroth. We know that a uh, master Ra and uh, Helya created the Emerald, the uh, elemental planes that the Titans constructed, like, like traps to hold the elementals very similar to what Sargeras did uh, with the, with the fell when he created his prison world, um, our doom. And it's, I, I think the more we see, the more we realize that there's an, the Emerald dream existed before the Titans showed up on Azeroth and it exists in other places. The one around Azeroth seems to be like similarly controlled by the Titans.
0: Yeah. We get a glimpse of that from like, just the discussion of like learning about a loon. And, and we, we just talked about this last week, I think, a little bit as well. Uh, and to be fair to Sabercat, th- this uh, this question came in at the beginning of the month. So I apologize that we're just getting to it now. Um, but when we learned about uh, Aluna here and how long maybe the Mother Tree has actually been around, uh, the Mother Tree exists inside of the Emerald Dream. All of that predates the Titans and their meddling. All of that is well before they they showed up and did their thing. So it is, it is ancient and possibly unknowingly vast. We don't know the full reach of it.
3: Yeah,
1: we've just seen little pieces so far.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if there's much else to say about that. But yeah, pretty much anyone can get there if they, they so deem fit. Unless Matt, anything else you want to add to that?
1: Well, if they have the means, as you pointed out, like the average farmer in like Elwyn Forest is not going to the Emerald Dream anytime soon.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next one, and this one comes from our friend Metalzani, and I think Matt's going to have a field day with this one. Does evolution occur naturally in the world of Warcraft, or is everything just forced into a certain direction from Titan influence or close proximity to the blood of a Titan? Before Shadowlands, I had assumed convergent evolution was at play because all the different worlds we went on had the same had, or had similar species, such as cats, boars, wolves, etc. Basically, how do we know we have free will after seeing Zereth Mortis and the protoforms of a lot of creatures? What stopped being Blizzard from saying the Titans put internal programming into the races of Azeroth's uh, f- fight for them when called upon? How do we know WoW won't just end with a world reset and the first one, pick- first one picking up some pieces and saying play again like some kind of Ragnarok scenario? Why is Azeroth the only place with dinosaurs? And why are they all located around Titan areas? So a couple questions in there. So Matt. I, I already I already answered this
1: um on our discord for to to a degree one part of it. Azoroth is not the only planet with dinosaurs. Um, Draenor has dinosaurs. Uh, even old Draenor before it got blown up and turned into Outland had dinosaurs. There were dinosaurs on Draenor. Um, I don't know if they're on other worlds. I mean, that's not, you know, I, I, I can't say, and also Zoroth has them, but I know that there's at least dinosaurs on out in Outland and on Draenor, um, which is uh, when I, I'm saying on Draenor to mean the, the Draenor from Warlords Draenor. So the Ultranor had dinosaurs, and that's before it became Outland in the first place. So yeah, they were there the whole time. In fact, it's probably dinosaurs that the uh the dragon maw were taming or other big reptile monsters. Because they they had a word for dragon. The dragon maw called themselves the dragon maw before they met the dragons of Azeroth. But it's not, they weren't it's not one for one. It's just there's an orcish concept for a big reptile thing, probably a dinosaur. And that's the word they used to indicate what they were doing, which was taming them.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and when they got to Azeroth, they started trying to do it to dragons because big lizard, um, not realizing big sapient lizard, <laughs> you know, it, it's like this, this thing is a, it's a person. It has a you know, it's older and smarter than you. What you're doing is horrible. Um, they didn't really understand and, and probably wouldn't have cared at that point because at that point they were part of the old horde and they were well, all fell corrupted. Um, but to get back to it, that part, we know there are dinosaurs under the world. And we know Agrimar didn't shape the life of Draenor. He, he did create inadvertently the, the orcs and the ogres, but he did so through creating one being. That's the only being he made. He made one being. That being broke apart into multiple smaller beings, which then begat uh, a whole bunch more. That That's not the same thing as what happened on Azeroth, where a lot of experimentation went down. There wasn't any experimentation on Draenor. Aggramar showed up, realized the place was messed up unless something happened, and and did something really fast, quick and dirty. This will work until I can come back and try and really sort this, and then left. And he never came back, because he you know got involved with the whole Sargeras thing. So we know that the Titans didn't make the dinosaurs on Draenor or any of the the animal or plant life on Draenor. The Titans did not shape it. it. It's not a world shaped by the Titans except for that one thing they did. And that's just one Titan did it. In terms of what's stopping Blizzard from doing what you said, nothing is stopping Blizzard from doing what you said other than they don't seem inclined to do so. Uh, the entire purpose of the Algalon fight is to show that the opposite is true. Like, we can oppose the Titans. And when a servant of the Titans can show up and be like, I got to do this, it's for the greater good. And we can say, F dad, I live here. All my stuff is here. I, I took a lot of time collecting all that stuff. I am not letting you blow up the world so that you can get rid of some squid underground. I will handle the squid underground just like I'm <clears throat> going to handle your big starry butt. So I feel like the, the narrative of the story all along has been the opposite of that. It is not... The Titans don't have a, a control U button. I think they want to have one. I think it is in their nature to want to feel like they're in control of a situation. The The way that they view order is very much that it is a thing to be imposed. They come to a world. It's like they used to call it like the ordering of the cosmos is one of the words they used to describe what the Titans have been doing for all this time. They go around from world to world and they like, okay, this place would be much better if it was exactly the way I think it should be. To the point where we even see like Joe of the Amonthul thing from the uh, the tree that we talked about last last week. Okay, um basically Amonthul and and uh Eonar had a disagreement. Eonar planted the first world tree, which is a uh, Aluna here and uh, a
0: Luna here, which was a gift from Alun, a branch of the mother tree yeah. Gun Gunir.
1: And we find out that Alun and Eonar were very close. Uh, I believe the exact term used was uh, her love, Alun. Mm-hmm. So Alun cool. and, and Aonar were dating, as far as we can tell. And when she planted the first world tree, it it barely got chance to grow. And A- and Amethil was like, "No, this is not our part of our order," and he ripped it out because that's his go-to solution to everything. Yeah. Out.
0: Well, I mean, th- to be perfectly fair, he said nature is chaos. Chaos yeah. is not order. This is not what we do. And then ripped it out, causing the Un'Goro crater. So like, which goes to the point of does evolution exist outside of like, whatever the Titans programmed? Yeah. I mean, it has to, because it's anathema to Amonthal, right? It's, it's something, yeah. it's something that, that grates on that sense of order.
1: And I think that the, the, the confusion is being caused in part because we've seen things evolve I'm putting air quotes in here, but you can't see my hand. So we've seen things evolve when exposed to, as you pointed out, the Titans power or the blood of an, of a Titan or what have you. And I mentioned this, I, I was talking to somebody about it. I don't remember who I was talking to about it. it might've been Joe. Um, it, it, you can look around and you can see examples over and over again. Like f- one of the examples is the Mogu, the Mogu used anima, which they, mm-hmm. they, which is supposedly not the same as the anima from that, from the shadowlands, but you know, whatever. Um, they used anima to create the Saurok. They made the Saurok out of um, other reptile beings in the area. Like they some some argue they made them out of dinosaurs. We see we're coming back to dinosaurs again. Um, they made the grummy the grummels out of the trogs. And which
0: were a split evolution from the uh, earthen.
1: I that's where I'm going here. So hold on. We find trogs in Deep Home,
3: mm-hmm.
1: rock trogs. They're they're stone creatures that live there i if the idea that the trogs are a a bad batch of the curse of flesh that turns earthen into trogs, I don't think so, yeah, and I think the Mogu are the clue here. I think that there were these elemental beings the Titans of you know the Titan forge are always said to be made by the Titans, but when you forge something, you take a raw material
0: and change and it you into something else it on a forge yeah that's what I mean by split evolution though right yeah. like that's I don't that's, think
1: but I don't think they're a split evolution of the earthen I think they the the rock trogs from um deep the base form, yeah they literally grabbed a bunch of those guys and turned them into the earthen, and then when the curse of flesh hits the earthen sometimes they turn into fleshy versions of the earthen, but sometimes they turn back into trogs. like it's it's like they revert to an earlier setting like you know ooh, go, going back to factory here and I think that that's the case Look like, for a lot of the evolved beings that are evolved by Titan inter- interference or other entities who are using similar methods. Um, I mean, just look at the Jinyu uh, and the Ankoan. The Jinyu and the Ankoan are both basically branches of each other, right?
0: Well, you are said to become from Murlocs.
1: Yeah. But the Ankoan are basically that too. Like the Ankoan are Jinyu, but they're not. And I think that that's, the random processes continue, even though the Titans are interfering with the orderly ones, the, the Titans are trying to drive things in certain directions, but the world has like other forces that oppose them. And that's the way evolution actually works. Evolution isn't, you know, people think evolution is this weird thing that makes things get better, quote unquote, but it has nothing to do with getting better. It's reaction it's to about- stimuli. It's, it's what's fittest for the situation in question. Mm-hmm. There's, there's selection pressure, and the selection pressure can be as simple as anybody who can't retain water in their body who lives in this desert is going to die. And that's, therefore, since they're going to die, they're not going to have children. And therefore, anybody who is capable of retaining water in their bodies will live to have offspring. So those offspring will likely inherit that trait. And if they don't inherit that trait, they will die. So the desert is winnowing out creatures that don't retain water in their bodies. It's the same for anything. One of the reasons that species die out when we have mass extinctions in the real world is because they are specialized. They've evolved with a specialization that allows them to do something. And when the situation changes, when the, when the environment changes, when the climate changes, they die because they're not, adapted for that situation and the ones that survive will most likely have qualities that allow them to survive and those those qualities will be selected for that's in a way that's the order of chaos that's chaos providing its own order the titans hate that because they want to impose order that's they feel like that's their gig that's what they do is they come around and they order everything but everything already has an order you know and i think that that's the thing to really think about that, what Joe said earlier about nature has to exist because the Titans are so squicked out by it. That's why Odin didn't like the dragons <laughs>
0: Because the dragons were natural. Well, they, 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 op- they operate in a form of nature, right? And we talked about this during our dragon episode. And we've yeah. talked about this with the uh, proto dragons and why it's such a thing and why we have the incarnates and why there's such this divergent evolution of dragons. Cause yeah. spoilers, there's a divergent evolution of spo- uh, of dragons, but they are born of Azeroth. They're creatures of Azeroth that existed before the titans got there. And. and-
1: and it's also interesting that they are and you go to the elemental planes, you find drakes. Mm-hmm. There's wind drakes and stone drakes. And uh, I want to mention this the quest uh with Odin in uh in patch 10.2.
0: Yeah, so mild spoilers if you haven't done the campaign storyline. First of all, do yourself a favor and go do it. But yes, please proceed.
1: Um I'm gonna try and keep it as free as possible, so I'm gonna be kind of vague in places, but basically Virenoth finds out like while she's working with everybody, you know, Virenoth is now making nice with us, by the way, sorry, spoiler. If you haven't been playing in a bit, but Virenoth is now working alongside the uh, aspects to try and preserve the Azeroth and the, the tree of life, the, uh, the new world tree, but she's still pretty much a dragon chauvinist or more specifically, she's pretty anti-Titan. And when she finds out that the Thorn gear, remember the Thorn gear, the giant chin storm dragons. Yep. The Thorngear, the gear are true dragons. They're not. They're not like you know some kind of weird reptile offshoot or nothing. And they're, they're true
0: not, dragons. Yeah, and they're not something that Odin made.
1: No, but he has them convinced he did. Yeah, he claims he made them and that they have to serve him. And not now we know that some Thorngear are ignoring him because there are Thorngear already on the Dragon Isles.
0: But the like vast majority can- of them are still holding to their. Yeah. They're holding to and honoring their their sort of pact.
1: Yeah, because they made a pact with Odin that you find out about in Legion when you go up to the top of the mountain and they tell you about the whole deal that they made with Odin eons ago. Uh, basically, for a dude who didn't feel like dragons were the right call, he went and got his own dragons as soon as he could. You know, but regardless, the Thorin gear are like you know they're they're in Odin's little halls of Valerie deal, and he's keeping them there while the the calling is going out. Now the calling is going out. Like the Dragon Isles are back. The call went out. They felt it,
0: they still feel it,
1: yeah. They feel it right now, but they're they feel like, well, we, we have to do we have to keep to the pact because you know, he, he without without uh Odin, we wouldn't even be dragons or anything. He, he's the one who 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 turned us into this, which is nonsense. He didn't, um, and and Virenoth is the one who's like absolutely furious. She's like, this is he thinks he can he can control dragons, so she, you know, the bunch of you, you and her, and a bunch of others. And I, I recommend doing this quest, and if you have a warrior, do it on the warrior first. Oh yeah, because some of the options in the dialogue are just brilliant. Um, Although anyways, everybody
0: gets the option to say, "I've always wanted to punch Odin in the face," which makes me very happy.
1: Yeah, but not everybody gets to say, well, "I've no, I know Odin personally, so I really want to punch him in the face." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you get there, uh, you you do the typical thing where you end up fighting Odin for a while, and. Then Virenoth basically intercedes when he's like saying, I know she intercedes and and freezes him uh, and she's like, talks to the Thorngear and she's like, look, you're dragons
0: and stop. Well, let's, you're- let's hold on. Let's, let's not Go downplay ahead. that. She snaps her fingers and he is frozen in place. She is an order of magnitude more powerful than Odin is.
1: I do not agree with that. I've seen, I think she's probably his equal, um, but I don't know if she is an order of magnitude powerful because, you know, beings who are not more powerful can still affect other beings fair you know jaina can you know jaina has cast spells on people like thrall even you you would argue that thrall and jaina are probably pretty close although jaina is probably more powerful mm-hmm. regardless it's it's not it's not clear cut yet but, but it is she really freezes cool. him in place yeah she freezes his his big dumb ass um so i guess that's our one that's our one Okay, sorry. I'll try and try and watch it because Odin is <laughs> such a jerk that I, I have to control myself. But yeah, it, it's it's absolutely uh, you know it's it's a it's a star moment for Varanov because she comes in and just shuts him up um, because he is such a tedious person. Oh man. Anyway, she basically talks to the Gear. She's like, "Look, I know what he's told you, but it's no. You are dragons. You are true dragons, and you are being called home. You know, and and if you want to come, you are welcome. I will lead you there." Uh, And she's not forcing them or trying to force them. She just says, look, the door is open. I can bring you there now. You can come with me. You do not have to stay here and let this madman tell you what to do. You're dragons. That's the end of it. You belong home and you can come home. And I I just, it's a really great moment, partially just because Odin gets totally humiliated. uh, But also because it kind of clears up a point that's been, you know, Joe and I talked about, all the way back, um, wow, like a couple years now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When we did our dragon episode is that there are dragons like the Thorin gear and all those that aren't aren't part of the the aspect groups, for lack of a better word, the flights and they're being brought home. They're there. They get to come home, too. Uh, it isn't just going to be the, you know, the, the the red, the bronze, the blue, the black, the green. It's going to be all dragons even like it's going to, we're going to see some proto drakes in there because Varanov has joined with them. Mm-hmm. So you know that some of the proto drakes are going to come along and, and be part of it too. Uh, so yeah, I, it is one of those situations where the Titans want to impose a very specific order on the world. And it's becoming more and more apparent that without the Titans, those worlds would still exist. Yeah. They and- just wouldn't they wouldn't be affected by the Titans. It doesn't necessarily mean the Titans did as bad when your planet has a bunch of old gods crawling around on it. It's probably good to get somebody to get them out. But regardless, the Titans are not the creators that they claim themselves to be.
0: No. And I find it very interesting as well, because like it also highlights the limitation of what the, the Titans could essentially do. They couldn't maintain perfect order. Like Going back to the curse of flesh, we've argued that it was something that was pre-programmed in there. Um, maybe after last week's episode, it was something that was pre-programmed in there by a certain ANR. um, you know, because nature must find a way. But maybe the titans themselves didn't expect life to evolve like that. That's why Algalon looks at us with such a interesting eye, right? Like it be why we are so curious to it we are the oddity or
1: well, doesn't he even say something to the effect of maybe it is your your you know your flaws mm-hmm. see what the titans view it as a flaw they view free will as a flaw let me not all of them i'm gonna say i'm gonna no, say that no,
0: a i think is firmly in the camp of i like nature and like is you know maybe not necessarily fully on board with the everything must be 100 controlled all the time
1: i do, i think that you know we saw for a fact that of the of the um the Titan watchers, the keepers, um, Tyr definitely was much more in tune with the idea that the beings of Azeroth should have a say in what happens to their world. Mm-hmm. Um, Odin clearly isn't, but I honestly think, I don't know how much time we have for a long discussion of Odin's psychology, but I think getting his face melted off definitely didn't do Odin any favors on the stability plane.
0: No, I would agree. Um, I mean, having your face melted by Ragnaros, Ragnaros is probably, uh, not going to make you the most, uh, loving person
1: and i mean it would probably make you want to control things so you know one of the things that happens with ptsd as somebody who has it is you want to you 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 develop this aversion to like allowing something like that to happen again but the problem is you can't control life and if if you're not like if you don't get lucky and don't get the right therapy and so forth one of the things that can happen is that you start obsessing about controlling every little thing
2: Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com code SUPER24.
0: I, mm-hmm.
1: And Odin is classic that.
0: He, he's, so I think, uh, he's, yeah, he, I mean, I'm pretty sure he would have been a little bit of a shut-in even if he wasn't locked away.
1: Yeah, like, he, you notice he, he basically took his, his little fortress and... And ran to it. And for all that he was confined in it, he hasn't left it since he wasn't confined to it anymore. And
0: and even then, like his, his, and I'm air quoting the confine here because Javi was out and about. Javi was definitely able to, you know, go elsewhere or not necessarily be stuck firmly in uh, the halls of valor. So I don't know how stuck he was for how long, but even then he didn't roam very far. Just don't, I'm nodding
1: there. and people can't see me nodding. So I don't know why I'm doing it. That's <laughs> right. Joe is right. I, maybe I should say something. It's a podcast. Maybe I should make noise.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about it too. And, and, and Azeroth will always be this, this thing where the more you look at it the, and start putting the pieces into it, evolution was always going to be a factor, whether it was by AR's doing, whether it was by design of the first ones the universe shows evolution. And when you look at the planets that we go to or other realms of existence where we see cats and boars and wolves, et cetera, we are labeling them. And that's something to keep in mind, right? We learn from the grimoire. We learn from Chronicle that everything is, is sort of dictated by the, the eye of the observer. And when it comes to species of, uh, like, of Azeroth, but species of literally everywhere in the universe or, or of existence, we don't maybe necessarily know what we're talking about, and we justify it by classifying them in a manner that we understand. I've talked about this before where we try to rationalize things. The brain does this as a natural human response, right? You rationalize things. You try to find common ground. You try to find something you do understand in order to contextualize something that is either occurring or that you are observing. And this way, it's a natural reflex of the brain. Well, if we're traveling to Bastion and we see things that look like lion owls uh, that, you know, a that that's what they look like to us. To somebody else, they may have a completely different name. They may not be cats. They may not be uh, you know, there's a whole subsection of like owlkin or feather mains, I think is what they're called. Um, they may not be feather means everywhere else. They may have a completely different name or genus or species, but that's how we identify them. And the same thing with wolves and boars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the-
1: it's like it's kind of like I mean, I don't know if you guys know who George Perez was. Brilliant comic artist. Decent writer, but really brilliant comic artist. Uh, He and um, Kurt Busiek did a a comic called JLA Avengers. And in it, there's always been a scene that I really loved because Busiek drew it so well. There's a scene where Iron Man and Superman are are both going up into space to try and observe what's happening to the planet below them, Mm -hmm. which is Earth. And I, I got to tell you, the pairing I didn't expect to, to think was interesting is, is Iron Man-Superman. I always thought it would be Iron Man-Batman, but no, it's actually Iron Man-Superman. Because Iron Man is the closest analog in terms of has any power he needs for the situation at hand.
0: Unless you talk about Sentry, um, but that's a whole other story. Let, let, yeah, yeah. We'll keep Sentry is,
1: is... Yeah. Iron Man is like scanning. He's like, I, I, this doesn't make any sense. These planets have different sizes, different densities. They even have different magnetic fields. I I can't be seeing this. There's two giant hands pushing the planets together. It can't be happening. And Superman's like, it isn't. You're just, your brain is trying to tell you what's happening in a way you can grasp. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Just, just relax. Don't, don't be too hung up on the actual literal physical reality of those two big hands. Okay. Cause you're going to break yourself. That's kind of how you have to view any interplay. Like when we go to Maldraxxus to us, it looks absolutely horrifying, but
0: so clearly normal.
1: clearly the people there have no problem with it. Some of them really like it. Um, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it comes down to these are cosmic fl- places that were never meant to be viewed by mortals who were still alive. You're not supposed to be there in the first place. You are violating all sorts of cosmic law, by being there, in a weird sort of way, that's the that's the common theme of every time we've gone to another plane of existence.
0: The, we are violating cosmic law just by going there. Oh yeah, we and we do that. Like Frost is a Tuesday, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing to keep in mind too is that uh, the sort of the concept of an ecosystem. Ecosystems exist wherever there is life. Uh, there's o- Or sometimes in the absence therein, uh, there's always something that feeds off of something. There's always a hierarchy. Uh, there's always roles that need to be filled. It doesn't matter where you are. So you're going to have creatures that prey on other creatures. You're going to have creatures that eat local uh, f- uh, flora. Um, you're going to have other creatures that are necessary to pollinate that flora. These are all mechanisms that are sort of almost universal. And you see this represented literally everywhere you go. It's why Draenor and Azeroth are ostensibly compatible. It It's why you can go to Xerath Mortis or anywhere in the Shadowlands that has sort of this, we have these own ecosystems. Look at Ardenwald. Ardenwald is a really good example of that. Arnold is an extra-dimensional space of death, but it has an ecosystem. There are things that eat other things in order to process the anima. Everything that is there, like that's a place that doesn't need to have wildlife necessarily, at least not as written on paper, but it does because it needs it to operate like that for every well, other function of it to work. Because you mentioned Zarath Mortis,
1: one of the things you notice when you go to Zarath Mortis is that a lot of that stuff is is like machine-like. Mm-hmm. because Zereth mortis is literally where some of the testing was done on the concept of an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first ones evolution in Azeroth in the, in the Warcraft setting evolution is the means by which the first ones were creating something bigger than they had when they started, mm-hmm. because it has to be able to evolve into new things. The only way around what it, the thing that is coming as, as the uh, jailer, Zovall said, you know, you will not survive what is to come. The first one's approach to how to get around that was to make a system that evolved in in response to stimuli, as Joe pointed out earlier, because that's the only way you're going to get around that thing that's coming that can't be stopped by anything you know of. Mm -hmm. You need to make something you don't know of. And you're going to it's not you sitting here and trying to design it, trying to make to impose order on it isn't going to work in the long term. It can be part of the the long-term solution, but the long-term solution has to be something that has evolved, that has changed, that has responded to a situation and adapted to it.
0: Look at, look at, look at, let's go to sci-fi realm as well. Like Even the Borg, as created as they are, as manufactured as they are, they are manufactured beings, have to evolve. And in that's, fact, that's what they want to do. Yeah, they want to become They want to become even more perfect, so they continue to evolve. It, it, it's just a nature of being alive. It's a nature of existence. Evolution is inescapable, at least in my opinion. And whether the Titans know it or not – and again, there's arguments we've made and there's arguments that I've made that the Titans may have a specific limitation in what they understand the universe to be based off of what their role is in it because – we know that Odin knows more than he's telling us. We know that Zoval was able to figure out more than he was supposed to know potentially. Um this seems to be an idea that they're not supposed to know about the first ones, uh so to speak. So maybe Amonthul knows about them. Maybe the others didn't or don't. I think anr probably does, if nothing else, Alun knows about them. Uh and my guess is that Alun would have confided in in ANR at least a little bit of, of what they knew. But it's you cannot escape evolution. Evolution is necessary. It may also be why A&R was so open to the idea of nature in general and why, because if you think about it, if it's so anathemical to the Titans in general, why is there a Titan of nature? Why is there one that has sort of glommed on to that? And going back to what Zovall said where you know something's coming and we need to be able to fight it, if the first ones knew that— And they wanted to set everything in motion in order to fight that, but understood that they had limitations. They had a boundary that they would hit against. And that these perfect, like you can't perfectly curate everything because perfectly curating anything, it can break. And if it breaks, it's absolutely useless. But if it can put itself back together again, if it can become stronger with its own self iterating devices. And continue to become more than it was in case of, again, let's go with anima. Anima gains power because you live a life. That life lived goes to the Shadowlands. That power then gets converted back into life again, some capacity, whether it is uh, through Revendreth and then being shuttled off to another zone, whether it's an Ardenweld and being pushed back into the Emerald Dream to be reborn somewhere else, because again, going back to the other thing, the Emerald Dream touches a lot of different planes of existence and worlds, just you know, throwing it out there. You need to continually change and evolve to become stronger. The other, the Titans didn't seem to understand that. Sargeras didn't even seem to understand that, and he was probably closer to that than most of them were. Anar may have been the only one that did, and that's only because of loon. So it's inescapable it's something that needs to happen. It may be by design. It may be something that was planned from the very beginning. We'll never know, but yeah, it's not because the Titans did it. I think it's just how it is. Yeah.
1: Another thing to consider too, is that the role the Titans play might be akin to, if you look at the natural world, uh, one of the things that you look, you can see that is another inescapable force is that when things get stagnant when things have gone as far as they can, there's too much competition. There's no room for anything to move into a new niche. We will eventually see a situation occur where a lot of things suddenly die, Mm -hmm. whether it's a forest fire or a series of forest fires or like lava covering half the planet, which absolutely happened once um, or like the, the, the planet earth has been through three global ice ages And that's before the ice age we went through in the Cenozoic. I'm talking the entire planet froze solid, like completely covered in ice. The only reason there's animal life left on earth is because sponges just wouldn't quit. No matter how cold it got, sponges just kept going and we all kind of owe sponges a debt of gratitude. Uh, So the Titans might be considered to be a conceptualized version of that force, which would explain why, they have interactions, but don't go to the Shadowlands. Or why because, they can't
0: go elsewhere in general.
1: Yeah. Their orderly purpose is is part of the plan to make things evolve because things can't evolve if there's not continuous reset and change. And how do you get continuous reset and change? You have these guys come along and flatten everything. Mm-hmm. In the name of order, they create a different world. Like the world Azeroth is now is very different than the one it was before. It's not necessarily less chaotic. It's just different. And that's something I don't think the Titans really, things don't see themselves that way. They see themselves as creating perfect order. They never stop to think about the fact that the order they create doesn't last. We, it also, can't last.
0: we also don't know how many planets they ever went back to, right? That's like, true. We don't like, know. Like we, we know that, When they stumble upon one like Sargeras did when it was completely corrupted by the void, they killed it. But had that been a planet that they had ordered before and just let to go, we know that they do. the They, they quote unquote, did the ordering. Um, But again, do they go back to these planets? Do they understand what these were or what happens or do they just set it up and move away? Is that their only function? Are they are they the stagehands of the prime material plane?
1: Yeah, and how related is their ordering to other titans being born? Like, in other words, did Amonthul pass along his preconceptions to the others in the Pantheon? Because he was essentially the first one to wake up, and then he went and found others that were, like, in a similar stage to what he once was, and he did something to make them wake up.
0: Yeah, because let's not forget, Azeroth was a unique scenario, right? And they they come upon Azeroth. They find it as a beacon in the 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 universe, and it's infested but not gone. Like the Black Empire is spanning the entirety of the surface of the planet. The Old Gods are trying to burrow their way down, but through now we know possibly the protective roots that were laid uh, laid down by Aluna here in the first place, uh, trying to get their way through to the the Nuggeti center of Azeroth, but. When they found other planets like this, when Sargeras found another planet like this, so infested, they killed it.
1: Well, keep in mind, that Sargeras was working on his own.
0: He didn't tell he anybody He didn't tell anybody that. But when they come here, they try to save it. We don't know that they've done that anywhere else. We don't know that any other planet has the number of Titan facilities in place a network like th- is on Azeroth. Like, I mean, obviously, the going back to... Um, Why can't I remember the planet's name now? Argus. Argus. Going back to Argus is a bad example because the planet's half exploded, but we only know of one Titan facility on that planet. And it's the one that they used to, Sargeras used to essentially turn the Legion back through a world soul, torture them, and put them back into place. Like, is that everywhere? Are other planets that the Titans have gone to filled with Titan facilities? Or is Azeroth as unique as I think it is?
1: I think it's pretty clear that that Azeroth is unique in that regard. Um, just for the fact that it's very clear that when Agrimar finds Azeroth while he's looking for Sargeras, he sees that it, it's infested, and he goes to them and says, "This is happening," and they're all shocked. Like this is not something that they 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 had calculated for. Sargeras never came back to tell them what he'd seen. He never told them about the void stuff. So this was their first run-in with it, and it's it's interesting that their solution was very different from his. Mm-hmm. But it's also we don't know we don't know the difference between what Azeroth's situation was versus that other world. We don't know yes. if that other world could have been saved. We don't know if Sargaris had just stopped and thought and maybe called the others. Would they have come out and been like, oh, we you will you know, would they have done the same thing they did for Azeroth? Or was that as far as we can tell, that's the first time they ever did it when it was with Azeroth. That was yeah. their first run in with the void. It's the first time they were like, Oh, this thing, this poor thing needs to be helped. And the entire reason the Titan Forge exists is that the Titans themselves were so powerful and massive that they were afraid to try and inter- inter- interact with it directly.
0: Well, because, because of what it, happened with Yasharaj.
1: Well, no, before that, before that, because he did that. That's that's interesting because that's Thule getting impatient, mm-hmm. and I think that it relates to Aluna here when Amunthul gets impatient he jumps in and, and acts directly. And I, th- I find myself wondering how many times throughout infinity has Amon Thule gotten impatient and jumped in and like basically messed things up. Like I, I do, I find myself wondering this, like, is this, is this the reason Sargeras didn't want to tell them like with Sargeras? Like he'll want to, he'll want to do some of He'll want to meddle He'll want to mess with it. We don't have to, we can't mess with this. We have to end it. You know what I mean? Like, There's, there's a lot going on with, with all this. But when the Titans came to Azeroth, the whole creation of the Titanforge in the first place was to basically be the surgical tools that cut the rot out because they couldn't just go in themselves. It's, it's similar to like if doctors invented nanotechnology and used it to treat illnesses that they didn't want to try to treat any other way because they'd kill the patient. And I find that fascinating that in the end, he still did it. He still reached down and tried to rip Yash- Yasharj out and caused this enormous gaping wound in the planet. And it's like. Just like you ripped out the tree wound- and
0: caused another gaping Well, I find it myself didn't want wondering, it to be wounded,
1: but still. I'm going to be upfront. I find myself wondering if the two weren't the same thing.
0: If Yasharj had infested the uh, Lunar
1: or he was in the same area, because you pointed out. Yeah. The the tree might have been protecting Azeroth from the old gods, right? Yeah. Well, if he's tr- if he's trying to get down there into Azeroth, he ne- he would need to get past it. So maybe he was literally why else would Ilganoth be in in the tree in the Ungoro in the Emerald Dream, unless that tree had been on uh Yishraj's mind. Well, I'm you know sure it mean? had been.
0: I'm sure it was because
1: maybe the tree was planted and then the old gods were like we don't know when the tree was planted either. We don't know if it was planted before the old gods showed up.
0: No, we do know that because that's because by the time the titans found the planet, no, no not had- the old
1: gods, not the old gods. Sorry, we don't know if it was planted before the titan forges were created.
0: Yes, that we don't know.
1: That's what I'm trying to say. Um, we don't know if the the titans had decided <laughs> on a plan of action yet, or if if uh, Aonar went out there and just planted the tree without even so much as saying anything, and then they were like you know, that thing is corrupting us. It's going to corrupt the world. And meanwhile, you know, Yashraj is trying to jam himself through it. And so his solution to the whole problem is just because keep in mind, it's a legend we're told, right? Mm -hmm. So it's possible that from the perspective of, of somebody, the story is about how Aminthul ripped the world tree out. And another the perception from another planet is the time you, you, he tried to rip the uh, old God out and maybe it's both, or maybe it's some combination of the two. Well, I mean, yeah. the,
0: the, the, I think we can, it depends on if we believe that there's truth in the fact that the uh, maelstrom essentially is uh, the original place where Yashiraj was plucked out. If the, the original well of eternity was uh, where that all went down. And if that's separate from on which it kind of is,
1: yeah, but Angora we know for a fact that Angora
0: moved. Oh, we know everything moved.
1: Yeah, and for that matter, we don't know for 100% that Angora is the place where the world tree was planted. I mean, we, we have we, a lot of really big clues on it.
0: We don't know, but we we I think it's a pretty safe guess.
1: It's a safe guess, but we do have to keep in mind that we're with the limitations of our knowledge.
0: It would also explain why those tunnels came by and that they're not necessarily uh, made by the Silithid. Does that make sense?
1: No, I thought you were gonna keep going.
0: Sorry. No, I was just saying, like, like, there's a bunch of tunnels there, and they don't look like the ones that are like the ones that they live in the mounds, even though there is those, those, those bits at the top, as you go deeper into them and you go through, they look more natural and they look like they go deeper. They don't look like the same tunnels that you find when you go to like AQ 40. Like if you're an Encarage, those are fleshy, like technically tunnels. The ungor ones don't remind me of the same thing. That the caves we find don't remind me of the same thing. They look more natural, like they're hewn well, from the rock.
1: We know for a fact that the uh, Silithid deliberately burrowed trying to get underneath Un'Goro to get away from the influence of the Titans there. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Titans had, if if Aonar is specific, if it's Aonar who did it, if Aonar created those crystalline pillars that created the influence in the area, that might have been some kind of like, for lack of a better word, Aonar version of like, you know, having grow lights. Yeah. To, to nurture the... Well, yeah, because I mean, think what those crystals
0: that- do. Those crystals are, yeah. are wild. And I mean, we haven't talked about those in forever. No, um, we haven't. But those, are, those were definitely linked in a lot of the quests to the direction of life in that in, in that particular crater. But what if that wasn't their original intention? What if that... Like- yeah.
1: Or, or like I said, if they're the equivalent of Aonar's grow lights for the tree, maybe she was trying to make it grow back.
0: hmm Because
1: she knew the root system was still there. And for that matter, if the root system's there... Maybe that's why the Silithid couldn't go through Ungaro, and that's why they were trying to dig under it. And maybe that's why they're in those tunnels because if those tunnels are related, they're trying to infest it, just like a like you know termites would try to go into a tree.
0: We well, don't and, know. and that and that that is a really good way to put it too, because termites don't necessarily burrow if they don't have to. No, they'll they'll take whatever path that they can uh, to get all there. Also, let's not forget that there is in the dead smack center of uh, Ungaro, which it's been a while is fire plume Ridge, uh, which is like this weird protrusion of just magma and heat uh, in the middle of nowhere. But also going back to the whole grow lights thing, what do you need in a greenhouse when you're growing a tree or growing a plant in general, you need heat, you need moisture, you need light. Um, yeah. I like the, I mean, the more we think about the more we talk about it with Silithus right there, because it is literally in the north. West direction. I think it's right past the screaming reaches, I think is that area. Uh, but there's a Titans facility all the way to the East. I think it's the Shaper's Terrace. There's an abandoned uh, Titan facility at the North, right below the cave uh, where we we go and deal with. There's all these varied, like it itself has like four or five biomes worth of material there, which I think is why at one point it was referred to as a Petri dish of the Titans, but maybe it wasn't always well, originally that.
1: Well, I mean, if you're looking at just looking at the map of it, um, you can see like the big Titan tower in the North and you can see the, the, like Acropolis like structure, which is the portal we go through when we go from, uh, Sholizar to Un'Goro. And the fact that that's something that always interested me,
0: the, the two are linked,
1: not just that the two are linked and the two are very similar, mm-hmm. but like, obviously Un'Goro is far to the South at the, the Southern edge of Calendor. Uh, but, sholazar is up in northrend but we know that both northrend and what we call kalimdor now were once part of that same continent it's possible that we're looking at this from the wrong direction when we're like you know Angoro isn't near isn't near the well of eternity um the well of eternity was nowhere near as big as the maelstrom but it was a large lake
0: yeah it was big enough that you you can see it it's pretty big
1: yeah there was like cities on either side of it that were you know like um Suramar was on one side of it, and Illunara slash Zin Ashari were, was on the other side. And it's very possible that Angoro and Sholazar were both on opposite sides of it, but the same biome. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, most of the biome around it originally might have been like that. We know that the Dark Trolls, when they found the, the Well of Eternity, they, you know, it was like Mount
0: Hyjal. Yeah, it was dense. it was also didn't they refer like wasn't it like a really dense dark jungle too?
1: Yes. It was it was I I I keep thinking this. I've I've thought of this for a very long time now. I think Zandalar is the opposite edge from Mount Hyjal.
0: Yeah, that would make sense.
1: Like I, like in the similar fashion. Like I think it, like in the real earth that we live on, if you go to the Appalachian Mountains and you go to a coal mine, the rock and the coal you find uh was laid down in the Carboniferous period, but it was laid down right next to the exact same strata in Ireland and Britain. Because Europe and, and America were basically touching at that time. And, and now, of course, the Atlantic Ocean exists between them. But you, you, they, they actually call it the continent of euro back then because North America and Europe were, were not – Europe wasn't part of the, what's now Eurasia. Europe and, and North America were one continent. And then, as the world crammed itself all together, and then broke itself apart again, they got separated by the growing Atlantic Ocean. Um, and that, to me, every time I look at Xandalar and the way Xandalar is set up, and the way the Loa interact with the Xandalari, I'm like, it's a mountain. Yep. It's just it looks like an island because it is an island because the ocean is all around it. But there's a reason Xandalar didn't get destroyed, and it's the same reason that Hyjal didn't get destroyed. It's that the wild gods slash Loa preserved it Mm -hmm. because it's a sacred mountain. It's an Umphalos. And I think that, you know, Un'Goro and Sholazar are similar in that. I think they are holy craters. Like they're not just Titan oriented. There's, there's an energy there that is older and more primal. We know that the wild gods, the, you know, the August Celestials, the ancients, the Loa, they are, Although the word loa really means any weirdly powerful, any, yeah, because like
0: yeah. we've we've established it before, like trolls refer to wisps as loas as well, which yeah, and for good anything reason.
1: that's you know pow- powerful and and otherworldly enough, boom, it's a loa. Um, but Heck, we deal with
0: one in the dream. There's a loa in the dream we deal with, the loa of change, yeah. Quetzal? Quetzal, It's um the the owl. Yeah,
1: and and a lot of this, a lot of these creatures are essentially for lack of a better word, they're like born out of Azeroth's existence. Like, like, you know, the various wild gods are part of Azeroth. They're, they're entities that interact with and are part of the biome. They're, they're like, in a way they're like manifestations of the world. Mm -hmm. The various different, different parts of the world that come together to make the whole. Well,
0: And that's another thing we're going to talk about at some point, because I think with everything, the revelation that we've had, and maybe this is a topic for another episode, folks, you let us know. Um, but we really haven't dove into the Wild Gods and the Loa since Shadowlands and since the revelations of what we're dealing with in the Emerald Dream, and it might be time to revisit some of that, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Sorry, sometimes I just sit here and nod. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I, th- I think that's going to do it, though, because we will be here for a while, but we are definitely at time. And I do want to thank everybody who's sending questions. We will get through them. I promise you. I have a very long list here and we will continue to to, to truck through them. Uh, if you do have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure you make sh- send those in. Uh, you can send those into podcast at BlizzardWatch.com. Uh, just specify what show it's for. If you want to hit us up on our discord channels, we do have one for our Q and podcast questions, which is open to everybody and our patron Q and podcast questions channel, which is open for our Patreon subscribers as a way of saying thank you. And specifically, uh, for, you know, Giving us money. We like money. It keeps the lights on.
1: Yeah. So we can like have food and stuff. It's
0: it's nice. (laughs) It's nice. Uh, And blizzard watch is made possible due to your generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch, which again, if you can spare a couple bucks a month, $3 a month is all it takes to get early access to the podcasts uh, and access to a special, the special channels on uh, our discord in order to to give us your questions or uh, give us your, your topics. Uh, and also gives you access to an ads-free experience with the podcast, Uh, please consider doing so because it means that this podcast continues. means that the site gets to continue on and that the community is able to not just survive but can continue to grow. Uh, Blizzard Watch reporters do enjoy all those exclusive benefits. Um, But, yeah, just please consider it. And if you can't support us monetarily, continue to share our stuff. Uh, It does mean a lot to us. We're available on all of the streaming platforms uh, as well as on the YouTube is in YouTube music, uh, which does have access to our, our podcasts now as well. Uh, and yeah, we just continue to appreciate you. Thank you. Matt, do you have algorithms.
1: anything you want to say? <laughs> algorithms algorithms and the more you placate the algorithm, the better it is for us guys. Please watch the shows, like the shows, subscribe to the channels, tell other people, um, you know, break into people's houses. No, don't do that. Don't one. do that one. Don't do that one.
0: Matt's already done that enough with here. We don't need any more of that.
1: Yeah. His whoopee traps are fascinatingly.
0: (laughs) They're mostly cat-based. But with that, folks, we'll see you next week.